Good evening. How are you guys doing tonight? Wow. Wow, what an amazing night so far. What a way to cap off and end this year. Thank you, Pastor Zeus. Yeah, we're a little short-staffed tonight, so I guess whoever was responsible for this. Hey, but you're good. I'm a servant, dude. I'll help you out. Hey, get us started. Get... Thank you. Hey, let's give it up for Pastor Zeus. Come on. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, like I said, it is great to be here. It's great to stand um, before you guys on this platform. I take it very humbly, and I take it very serious because I understand the, the influence that our church has and I definitely want to thank Pastor Zeus for uh, thinking of me and giving me this opportunity. Um, he is my pastor. He's been my pastor now for uh, over three years. And I respect the anointing on his life, the wisdom that he functions in. And I want to let you guys know, maybe you're here for the first time or maybe the second time or you're new here. He is an amazing man of God who holds true to the principles of the Word of God. And it is amazing to serve under that kind of a leader. But that goes without saying, Pastor Rob and Pastor Becca, their visionary leadership is amazing. And I know that is what compels so many of us to want to be part of this church. When we get behind that vision, we see where God wants to take us, how God wants to continue to use this church, this ministry to influence things locally, but also on a global scale. It is amazing to be a part of here, as well as, and you experience it here tonight with the worship, the presence of God that is in this place, you cannot pay for it. It is something that is here that is valuable and precious, and I'm just honored to be here. I also want to bring attention to the screen. If you guys could throw up a picture of my family. That is, um, that is my team. That's my home team. Uh, Erica, my wife, we've been married for 11 years. And her encouragement, not only within this message, but over the time and seeing what God had for me and her believing in me probably more than I even believed in myself. And I love you, Erica. You are my sweets and my love. I appreciate you. Um, our son Noah, he is eight years old. He is Full of energy. I don't know if any of the children's workers are in this service, but he is full of energy. He's a brilliant mind, um, and he's a master negotiator. He is a master negotiator. Uh, but I love them. They encourage me so much, especially as I took the leap and transitioned out of uh, in the marketplace where I worked in operations management for a number of years. Both Eric and Noah just encouraged me, Dad, you can do it. Paul, you can do it. This is what we believe that God has for you. So it is an honor to be here, an honor to stand before you, and I am excited for what God has in store for us as a campus, especially going into 2020. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, so first question I kind of have for you is you know that we've been talking in multiple series over the last month. We've been talking a lot about joy and what joy is, how joy manifested itself in the birth of Jesus. And here tonight, we're going to be talking about how joy isn't seasonal. Joy isn't seasonal. See, if we have relationship with Jesus, that joy is available all the time. And it's not something we ever put away. Let me ask a quick question here. How many of you have already 
made the decision or you have a plan or maybe you've done it, you've already put away that Christmas tree, that nativity. Wow, wow, there are people here who have done that already. Wow, I feel like I'm just getting in the groove of Christmas. I mean, yesterday I downloaded a couple of songs on iTunes. I'm like, I want it. I just want more. But, you know, this season of joy is amazing. And, and even though you guys have taken that step to put away some of your decorations, some of uh, your eggnog, some of your presents, and you've had your parties, joy isn't something that we put away. Even though joy is highlighted in this season that we're in, Around Christmas, it is something that we as believers, as those who have relationship with Jesus, never put away. There's a couple other things that happen, especially at the end of Christmas. One of them is often that people find themselves unhappy. Psychologist Dr. Irene Matilovich says that up to 25% of us experience post-holiday depression or some form of depression that can creep in days after the holidays are over. See, we've been in this season, probably in the last month, we've gone to parties, we've reconnected with family members, with people maybe we haven't seen in a while, and it brings joy to our heart, it fulfills us. It is relationships that are awesome and we just leave like, wow, I wish I could spend more time. Or maybe you're at a party and you met somebody new. You created a new friendship. And you're like, wow, this is so awesome. I'm so glad. And then January 1 hits, and then it's downhill from there. You start thinking about, man, I got 150 emails in my inbox. I have spreadsheets and things like that to do. I got to create some goals for January 1st that hopefully by February 1st you're still tracking on. Hopefully. But um, we have these things that we start prioritizing. We get back in this routine of life, yet we put joy and we've left joy in the month of December when joy is not ever meant to be seasonal. It is meant to be living within you all the time. It is not situational. It is not circumstantial. But when we have that relationship with Jesus, joy is always there. The Apostle Paul um, wrote to the church of Philippi, and he talked a lot about joy in that whole entire letter. And he had some profound things to say. And let me tell you first a little bit about that church in Philippi. That church, Paul had birthed, yet that church was extremely affluent. It had lots of political leverage within the community in that region. You know why? Because there was actually a road, a highway, where merchants and commerce traveled from connecting from Italy all the way to Turkey. And that city was on that main highway, as well as it was positioned not very far from the coast. So you can see it was a very strategic city from a commerce standpoint. And I believe a lot of those people that attended the church at Philippi were very prosperous. They had it going. They were the executives. They were the entrepreneurs who were having success in life. Yet Paul has to come along and write to them about joy. Philippians 4, verse 4 to 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Verse 6. Be not anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul recognized that even in their circumstances of success, we can lose joy. Because joy is not external. Joy is internal. And what's interesting, and I think even more profound, is Paul is penning this letter from Rome in a prison, in a dark place, in a damp place, in a place that doesn't bring a lot of us happiness. But yet he's writing to them who are having success on the outside and he's communicating to them about joy and exhorting them to rejoice. See, when we think about that word rejoice, it is better translated rejoice always. Rejoice always. Paul was not saying, you know what? I understand you're going through this. You're dealing with that. It's okay. You don't have to have joy today. No, he's admonishing them and he's encouraging them and exhorting them to rejoice always. And again, I will say rejoice. See, 16 times in 104 verses, Paul cites this church to rejoice or have joy. He wanted to let them know and remind them that circumstances, situations do not dictate joy, but joy is a force that lives and resides on the inside of us. Joy is a spiritual force that lives in us and is an outward expression of the nature of Christ in us. I'm gonna read that again. Joy is a spiritual force that lives in us and is an outward expression of the nature of Christ in us. Do we have joy at Christmas time? Yes, but we also have it at all times. Do we have joy when it's 30 below and it's cold in Minnesota and getting our car started stinks? No, we still have joy then. Do we have joy when our kids aren't listening to us and us as parents start wanting to pull our hair out? No, we still have joy. We have joy always, regardless of the conditions or the situations. I want to tell you a little story uh, personally um, about me, and this happened a couple of years ago. I was working for a company, and um, we had just had finished up the month, and usually the accountants will figure out the numbers and see how things shake out, and they're reporting back to me because I was the highest-ranking manager at this site, and things that it we're going well from what the controller had told me. And then all of a sudden, a couple days later, he calls me. He's like, uh, Paul, you know, this, this happened. And then this number came in here. And I really don't understand what's going on, but this is how we're ending up. I'm like, oh, wow, that is serious. Wow. And then all of a sudden, the next day he says, yeah, next week um, on this day, we have these people coming in, the president of the division, the vice president of operations, and uh, the vice president of finance. And yeah, this meeting is happening at one o'clock and you need to make sure you're there and be ready to discuss how the last month's performance was. So anyway, leading up to that, you can imagine anxiety hits. Now, I'll, I'll just be honest and transparent. I take my job very seriously. 
I take it as I'm working not just for them, but as unto the Lord. So I see my performance. I see what I'm doing, not for their pleasure or the way they see me, but how he sees me. I'm walking before that audience of one. And I'm anxious about this. And I, I'm telling Eric how I'm feeling. And I said, okay, let's, let's pray. So we begin to pray. Not just in our understanding, but Paul also encouraged us to pray in the spirit. See, when we don't know how to pray, there is a power that's available, and that is praying in the spirit with other tongues. And as we began to pray in our understanding and pray in the spirit, these words started kind of coming up. And I, I felt like I stopped and I said, I, I feel like, you know, God's saying something about um, uh, he's got our back. It's a rear guard that he's got for us. And so I, I just said, I, th I think that's a scripture. So I go and I, I find that scripture, and it's actually in the book of Isaiah, how his righteousness goes before us and his glory is our rear guard. And when we saw that, joy flooded our hearts because we knew God was in this and God was gonna protect us in this. And see, so joy is related to your practice of the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, not partiality, Psalmist, the David, David the psalmist writes, there is fullness of joy. And that fullness, as I mentioned, comes from that part of you that is created in the image and likeness of Jesus. It is amazing. See, so often our culture teaches us to pursue happiness. To pursue happiness, right? The path of least resistance. Let's pursue that. That's the right thing to do because that makes us feel good. Yet the word hap is an English word that is predicated on fate, on luck, on chance. It has nothing to do with the inner part of you that's formed in the image of Jesus. It has everything to do with your outward circumstances. And how many of you know that life sometimes doesn't deal, you, deal with you always in a kind way? There is opposition. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. It's going to come. It's going to come. But how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond in faith? Going to, your, to the presence of God to be filled up, to see joy released? Or are you going to run from it? Cower back. Wonder, I got to get out of this situation. It can happen in marriages. It can happen in jobs. I can't, I can't tell you over my career when I worked in the marketplace, how many people would say, Paul, I just, I just want to raise, you know, I want this raise and I know it'll make me happy. Yeah, it makes them happy for about two months. And you know what happens? Then they're still unhappy because they're not living by joy. So many of us look forward to that 2% increase. Well, that really doesn't change our lives. It's joy from the inside that will change and transform us. I find it amazing that James comes along and really echoes what Paul says. James chapter one, verse two to four. He writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
That is a strong verse. And yet, James is writing to believers who were formerly Jewish people who had said, you know what? I'm, not, I'm going against the grain of the way I was raised, where everything was about sacrifices and me doing works, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And maybe some of you think about your own life, and it's about your performance and the things that you can do, but that's not enough. You have to have your faith in Jesus. You have to have your faith set on him, looking to him to provide the joy in those hard situations. Because oftentimes I've seen and I've realized in my own life that God does not bring me just great things for me to be happy and joyful. No, when I've called out to him and said, Lord, I want to change. Lord, I want to transform. Lord, I want to be made into your image, into your likeness. All of a sudden, trials come, sufferings come, hardships will come. See, these verses teach us one thing, that we should rejoice even in sufferings because it is sufferings or trials that serves the process of our sanctification. Let me take a time out there. Sanctification, big word. Theological word. Big theological word. I'll give you a good illustration. When I made the commitment to marry Erica and asked her for her hand in marriage, she said yes. From that point, she set herself apart for me. I was fully hers, she was fully mine. A setting apart happened at that moment and was solidified when we got married and culminated in that. Sufferings and trials will build that into your life where you'll have to choose, am I really going to follow God? Am I going to allow joy to dictate my life? Or am I just going to be consumed with happiness and finding the easy way? Endurance is faith stretched out through time by testing. The results of endurance... We can rejoice even in our suffering because suffering makes us more like Jesus. I mean, that's, I'll be honest, of all the prayers and things that I would like, that is one of those, I want to be formed in his image. I said, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to live like you. I want to be like you. You know, Pastor Gabby in her, in her message this morning, and I would just encourage you, if you have time, I believe those messages will be put up on the website or on the app by Pastor Gabby and Pastor Morgan. They're phenomenal. They're going to encourage you. They're going to challenge you. They're, you're going to hear how amazing these women are. But she brought up a great point, and I took notes on it. She talked about Gen Z and how they're a generation that doesn't check the box. So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about this. I'm processing that. And she goes on, and she explains that when they think of Christmas, they think of Santa Claus. They might think of Jesus. They might think of Buddha. They might think of uh, the Virgin Mary. And they see all those things intertwined at the same level. And I'm thinking, wow, how could a generation see that and not see Jesus as the Lord of glory, as the one who can bring transformation? Yet then I also bring myself to the question, what's being modeled to them? How are we as the church influencing culture, influencing that generation? I believe that the earth is crying out and waiting 
for the manifestations of the sons and daughters of God. The world is waiting for us to be who God has created us to be, to have the influence in culture, to have the influence in society. When things go wrong and things are coming against us, they're saying, how, how, do you, how, do you, how are you getting through that? How are you dealing with those marital problems? How are you dealing with kids who aren't listening? How are you dealing with job opposition and pressure? Amen. And you respond, I count it all joy. Right. I count it all joy. Yeah. See, that takes maturity. And when you're able to get to that point, you will not lack anything. Amen. Good place to say amen. So how do we show joy? Let's get into some practicality here. We show joy by giving and by serving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, and this is Paul writing about the Berean church. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urged, pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. When we give out of a heart full of joy, generosity shows up. Generosity is a byproduct or output of a joy-filled heart. So when Pastor Zeus is up here and he's talking about tithing, he's talking about the kingdom builders giving and our sacrificial giving on top of that, and how the Lord leads us, it should be a joy. We shouldn't, it shouldn't be begrudgingly or reluctantly. It should be from a heart full of joy. Because it's not about the amount. It's about the fact that you're willing to obey. And as you obey, joy comes more. Joy floods your soul more and more. How about serving? Think about how many life teams we have here at our campus. How many global teams we send around the world. I've not yet met somebody who's been on a global team and said, wow, that was horrible. That was not worth it. I've not met that person. Because what do they do? They come back and they're overwhelmed with joy because they've had the opportunity to, to give out of who they are, to give out of that relationship with Jesus and help and serve others. So it's important that we have that same heart. And I know that that heart resides here at River Valley Church. And if you're here at our church, you know that within the first couple of years, we have a goal and a desire to see you go outside of these four walls and do something locally and something globally. Because that's the heart of our church. It is not just to be for us four and no more. So I want to summarize the couple points that I've already made tonight. The first one, don't put away joy. Don't put it away. Don't, it's not seasonal. Rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice. Joy is demonstrated by giving and by serving. And we'll close with this point. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The writer here is talking about Jesus and how we need to live our lives he writes, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy that was set before him. We're all going to have opposition in 2020. Maybe you're experiencing opposition right now. That trial, that situation. I want to encourage you the same way Jesus did. Don't look at the circumstances. Don't look and focus on those temporary things. But fix your eyes to the Father with a heart that's based on eternal principles, not temporary ones. See, it was Jesus who looked to the heart of the Father and he found joy there. Therefore, he was able to endure scourging, beating, emotional outcast as he was just made fun of and belittled. But it was the joy that was set before him he endured. He did not grow weary, but he grew stronger and stronger. If we're going to keep joy going, we need to move from Christmas to the cross. Joy was sealed at the cross for our lives. If we're, I'm gonna say it again. If we're going to keep joy going, we need to move out of Christmas to the cross. Joy was sealed at the cross for our lives. Let's not get stuck seeing Christmas as the end of joy, but let's see it as a launching pad for 2020. And let's live that life of joy. Let's go into our workplaces, into our schools, bringing joy. Yeah, it might be a negative environment, but you're there to control that environment, to control and to contest with that atmosphere. God has put you on mission there. You might not be a missionary out in Iran or somewhere else, but you're a missionary here. When you leave these four walls, that's your mission field. It's important we don't keep Jesus in the manger. He's a king. He is a soon coming king who is raised up in glory. Let's see him that way.